Amen and amen. As uh, we've been walking through the book of Galatians, we jumped in Galatians chapter 5, my favorite chapter. Galatians chapter 5, Christ has set us free. We talked about the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, that this freedom should not cause another brother to stumble. Just because we're free of the sin, free of the law, we're not free of the sin that so inhabits this body until the glorification of this body. This body will continue to have sin attached to it. I have been liberated. I no longer have to sin, but my body causes me to move forward into sin. And my flesh is when I'm feeding it. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. When we are working in the flesh, these are the deeds of the flesh, and these are the things that happen because we are in the flesh. And Paul, in verse 16 of chapter 5, says, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You cannot live in the flesh, and you cannot live in the Spirit at the same time. And living in the flesh, or the works of the flesh, as Paul calls them, those are things that we must do intentionally. You have to work at it to get it done. However, a believer, a genuine believer that is in the Spirit, that is walking in the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, these nine characteristics that we went through these uh, last couple of weeks, these nine characteristics, they ought to just imbue you. You don't have to pray for love, for peace, for patience. You don't have to pray for kindness, good. All that is within a believer, and that should just be a part of who you are as you walk in the Spirit. Now, naturally, we have our enemy, our our, our, the, our, our enemy number one that's constantly attacking us and causing these things to just to weigh us down. And when we come to a point and recognize that these things are going to happen, people ask me, why do, good, why do bad things happen to good people? They're always asking me that. Well, that's probably a faulty uh, premise to begin with, because if we know anything about what Scripture has been telling us, and we've been talking about this, there really is no one good. There's no one really good. The Bible says there's no one good, no one righteous. There is no one who seeks God. We seek the benefits of God. We come get close enough to receive the benefits of God, but we don't want to carry our cross. We don't want to self-deny. We don't want to sacrifice those things that call for a Christian, a genuine believer to do and to follow. I don't want to have to be praying every day. I don't want to have to be giving my finances. I don't want to have to be working. I just want to get the blessings. Do not ask me to do the rest. A genuine believer knows that when things happen, they happen to everyone. So the question really is not, why do bad things happen to good people? The real question is, why do good people, why do bad people continually get blessed by a good God? Why are good things happening to us? Because as we know that He has saved us from the wrath, from His wrath that is coming. He has saved us, and that, beloved, is probably the mo- it is the most important thing in our life because we have eternal life. We have this blessing. And so to say that bad things happen to good people, we start off with the bad premise saying, well, those people must be good. And the Bible says, no, we're not. It's us bad people. Those that are sinful and sinners that ought by the, by the grace of God that we're not being dealt with under God's wrath, but by His grace. He has saved you. He has delivered you. He has given you this freedom to enjoy the grace that He has given you. Nonetheless, we come to this portion of Scripture that Paul talks about, about the, the you reap what you sow. This, this, this law, this natural law, it's a law that, that goes beyond uh, anything that we can ever think or imagine. It's, it's, it's always there. Uh, you can talk to the most sophisticated farmer with his multi-million dollar machinery, planting and sowing, and all these seeds that he plants out. He knows 
that whatever he plants, he knows that whatever he waters and, and sows, he knows just like the first grader that takes that bean or that seed and puts it under the wet napkin. Do you guys remember that? Puts it under the wet napkin and puts it out in the sun. They both know that that seed is going to sprout whatever was planted. It's a universal law, beloved. It happens in our life. And Paul uses this not only in the spiritual sense, but also in the practical sense as he's talking to us about sowing and reaping. You reap what you sow. You hear that all the time. You reap what you sow. You, you, you understand it. And most of the time, we mean it in a very negative sense. You reap what you sow. That's, that's what you did and that's what you get. Those are the consequences of sin. Some of you are still probably going through some of those consequences. Like, for instance, in my life and in other people's life, uh, a good friend of mine, he, he had um, a cirrhosis of the liver. And he says, why is God punishing me? Well, because you reap what you sow. All your life, you've been an alcoholic, a drug addict, and now your liver's shot and you want to blame God for that? That's not God's fault. You reap what you sow. It's a universal law. And in the same sense, beloved, Christians, even though we are saved and secured and elect, we too reap what we sow, is what Paul's trying to get across in Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. And he says this. If you open up your Bibles, Galatians 6, chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit, excuse me, will from the spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap. If we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And especially to those who are the household of faith. Father in heaven, once again, we come before you. As we open up your word, I pray, Father, that you teach us, you lead us, and you guide us. Through your Holy Spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This universal law has been known throughout scripture from the very beginning. As a matter of fact, in Job chapter 26, as, as he's, he's, he's being instructed by and talked to by his friends, and, and, and he says that God, he stretches out the north over the void and hangs the earth on nothing. He has shown us that from the very beginning that science has always lined up with scripture, even though they had no clue and no idea of what was going on in, in, in science God's word has always lined up in scripture. God's word is always the one that is leading us. And so as we, as we look at these verses in Galatians chapter 6, we kind of touched on this a little bit last week, that uh, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Many pastors use this verse as a verse to teach the congregation that they should be taking care of their pastor. And it's a, it's a good verse, I guess, to use that. The New Testament has a lot of other verses that you can use to be able to at least get that point across that the congregation, that the people that are being fed by God's word ought to share with those that is doing the feeding. But here in this sense, Paul is not talking about financial resources. He's not talking about how to take care of your pastor or how to take care of those that are above you. He is, he's been talking to us about the whole process of living under the law or living under grace. Living under the law, the people that were 
upsetting the church in the Galatian churches. What they were doing is trying to get these new converts, which were not Greek, excuse me, were not Jewish, they were Greek or they were foreigners, had no clue as to what the Ten Commandments or Moses' law had stated, and they were trying to get these new converts circumcised. That was the whole issue. They wanted these new converts to not only to be circumcised, follow the commandments, follow the traditions, follow the this festivals and everything else. You see, because they were saying, unless you are circumcised, you cannot be saved. And so they were taking the gospel of Jesus Christ, as he said at the very beginning. Uh, Paul says, you know, anybody that does that should be cursed. Anybody that says it's salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ alone, plus something else needs to be cursed. And he was very adamant about that. As we started in Galatians back in February, Paul started off by saying, don't let anybody hinder you or take away from what Jesus Christ has done. It's kind of like saying that you cannot be saved. Okay, you gave your life to Christ, you committed your life to Christ, but you cannot be saved unless you are baptized or unless you take of the communion or unless and add whatever works oriented part of the Bible that you want to add. It has always been by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, always. And Paul is making this argument, says, if anybody, if an angel, or if anyone, even if I come up to you and start to share something else with you, other than that, that person needs to be cursed, cursed, and cursed again. And this is what he, he's been trying, he's talking about. And so when we talk about the, the spiritual gifts, you see, when you're, when you're, a genuine believer, you have these spiritual gifts within you. The Holy Spirit comes in you. You have this, this spiritual gift. You have the, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, it's only one, it's one fruit, many characteristics, and it's in you. And they work through you as you work through them. you got to have love to have joy. you got to have joy to have peace. you got to have peace to have patience. And they build on one another. Many times we walk in and we become saved and we want patience or we want self-control. We've got to learn that love is loving the unlovable. Joy in any situation, in any situation, love, joy, and, and every one of those, they are built in a genuine believer. And as we walk in the Spirit, those characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit, they just, they just come out of you. They help you with patience. They help you with self-control, with goodness, kindness, faithfulness. They walk, they, 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 they are... Just they come out of you, they ooze out of you. People cannot help but to see that you are full of joy when you walk in the Spirit. The problem is that many of us are sometimes uh, lazy or sometimes we just don't care. We're apathetic to the work of the Spirit. And so when we're not walking in the Spirit, it automatically shifts right back to working in the flesh. And the flesh, we, we went through this long list and not to have to go over that again. But the flesh is basically everything else that is not of the Spirit. And anything that is not of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, anything that is opposite of that is not of the Spirit. It's of the flesh. Now, Paul laid out some very heavy sins. You know, that I'm glad I'm not into witchcraft. I'm glad I'm not into uh, sexual immorality. I'm glad I'm not into debacle. I'm glad I'm not into all those things. And rightly so, for many people, we have this moral uprightness about ourselves. We're pretty good people, so we think. We're, we're okay. But are you loving at all times? Are there some unlovable people in your life that you know you just cannot love? Is there peace always in your life? 
is there? How about worry? I know that's not part of the fruit of the Spirit, but, but the opposite of peace is worry. The absence of this, this wholeness that God is giving us. And we walked through every one of those words and we, we looked at it from the Greek standpoint of what they meant. But, but peace is not just the absence of war. Shalom, peace is this wholeness, this completeness, this, this well, good uh, intent within your life that the Jewish person will proclaim upon you when they see you. Shalom, they, they are proclaiming this peace, this contentment, this wholeness upon your life. Not just peace, you know, I hope you're not in any kind of war. The opposite of that is worry. There is no contentment. There is no wholeness. There is no uh, focus upon what the Holy Spirit or God himself can do because we are the opposite of. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, he talks about how you should not be anxious about anything. Look at the birds again. You know, he's, he's got this, this horticulture, this, this, uh, this class on birds and, and, and seeds and, and fields and everything that's going on around him. He says, look, nature doesn't worry. Nature doesn't worry. And then he goes on and he says, you know, you know, not only doesn't nature worry, you know, the people that do worry are the pagans. They should worry. They should. And God says, you of little faith, why do you worry? Why are you anxious? Seek first the kingdom of God. Walk in the spirit. Allow the Holy Spirit just to, just to ooze these gifts, these, the spiritual fruits that I've given you. And not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. And so when we, we come to this point, what Paul is sharing here with us, he says, you know, he's not talking about giving spiritual gifts. You know, in the context of what he's talking about, the sharing of one another, the sharing, the word sharing comes from the word koinonia. To have this fellowship with one another. If, if the person that you're ministering to, because we had just talked about last week, we talked about a sinning brother, how to restore the sinning brother. And there's, there's sins that are very obvious and there's sins that are not. And none of us, none of us are above reproach. None of us. We all need some sort of reproach. Uh, 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 some sort of uh, uh, reproach to be able to be helped, helped into becoming more Christ-like. And what Paul is sharing here, he says, you know, you, you, this is how you restore this sinning brother. You restore him in such manner. And then now that he is restored, you need to share with him. Not necessarily stuff, but more your life. Help the brother by, by sharing your life so that he does not fall by the wayside again. One of the things that happens to a lot of sinning people in church, Christians, mind you, are those that continue on in the circles that they used to operate in. They would go into these various circles, these various places that they would try to win people back to Christ and, you know, old friends. Old, and they might not be bad people in a sense of what you think might be bad. They just might be family members that have nothing to do with Christ or don't want anything to do with Christ. I mentioned to you uh, the other day that I was talking to some, uh, a couple of guys that were working uh, and uh, we were talking about this revival that, that we just had this last, uh, last month, which we have another one in the end of this month. Uh, and I was talking to them, inviting them to the revival. And one of the guys says to me, he says, you know, I, I go to church. <laughs> the other young man looks at him and says, you go to church? <laughs> I go, brother, that's not a very good sign, you know. You know, because of the people that we hang out with, we sometimes tend to fall in that same direction, in that same leaning. And, and, and what Paul is saying, help the brother out. Share with him your life. Share with him your life and bring him along with you 
See, he says, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. Uh, God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. And what it, ends up happening with a lot of us, we think, well, we're not this bad. We're not that bad. You know, I don't, I don't do all those things. God is, God is saying, basically, don't be deceived. There are things in our life, in every one of our lives. As a matter of fact, John says, you know, he who thinks he does not have sins, call him out to be a liar. We all sin and we all fall short of the glory of God. And, and you know, the, the Christian life is, is a life of being persecuted. The Christian life is one of walking in the spirit. The Christian life is one that is separate and total, total from the world. And the world is constantly going to come against you. And it's going to constantly knock us down. And a lot of times we just submit to the world because we don't want the aggravation. We don't want that kind of, uh, well, for us to be labeled in such a way. And so when we talk about sowing what you reap, number one, you produce what you plant. Basic nature, basic law of nature. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. The law is just as real, as I said earlier, to an experienced farmer as it is to a child. Whatever goes in the ground is what's going to come out of the ground. You can't change the two. Paul says the principle is the same in the moral and spiritual realm as well. Whatever you give is what you're going to receive. And this is the law that not only uh, is, is a Christian law. There are a lot of laws that, a lot of, a lot of thoughts in this process, especially in the life of, of a Buddha, I guess you would say, karma. You've heard of karma, things that are going to come back to you. I know it's more into reincarnation and how you're going to reap what you sow. Uh, there was a thought of uh, the goddess Nemes. The, the goddess Nemes was the, the Greek goddess that would bring retribution upon those that were doing evil things. And they would say that whenever you did something evil, she would do whatever it took to chase you down and make sure you got your due diligence. This is not just a Christian thought. This is a thought that has been going on since the very beginning. As a matter of fact, in, in Job chapter 4, Eliphaz, the Temanite, as he's trying to talk to Job and says, okay, Job, what, what did you do? You must have done something. As I have seen, he says, those who plow iniquity sow trouble and reap the same. And he's saying, you must have done something wrong. Fess up. As a matter of fact, in Proverbs 11, it says, the wicked earns deceptive wages, but one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. It is this principle of sowing and reaping, sowing and reaping. In Hosea chapter 8, he says, For they sow the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. The standing grain has no heads, it shall yield no flower. If it were to yield, strangers would, would devour it. You know, you sow the wind, then guess what? It's all going to be tossed into the whirlwind. You cannot, you cannot get anything from that. Again, in Hosea chapter 10, verse 12, sow for yourself righteousness, he says. Reap steadfast love. Break up your fellow ground, for it is the time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain righteousness upon you and the people. And so as, as we see in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament, that there are things that happen because of cause and effect. There's this cause and effect that Paul is, is trying to get across. You sow into the flesh, you're going to sow uh, unto unrighteousness. You sow into the spirit, you're going to sow righteousness. One more. In Proverbs 22, very familiar passage to many of you parents. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Train up a child. 
train up a child. And, and, and what you do is you sow into this child. You give the, the word of God. You sow these things into him so when he is older, it will produce. And so this is why we are instructed to guard our heart above all things, for it is the wellspring of life. This is why we should guard our thoughts and, and our thought process, because of what comes in is what we're going to sow. In the same manner, if we're working in the, in the flesh, those are the things that are going to come out. Many of the things that genuine believers do is they believe a lot of the stuff that's going on in the world, a lot of the cultural events, a lot of the things the politicians say, the government say. A lot, and we allow that to infiltrate us. And so therefore, we're sowing the deceit or the things that are in the world. Now, I'm not saying that everything that they say is incorrect, but we, we, we focus on God's word. This is where we get our instruction from. This is what we tend to, we need to do. And we take this and then we evaluate everything else that's going on around us. Because if we continue to sow those types of things, you're going to reap what you sow. So number two. I need to stop sowing under the flesh. I need to stop sowing under the flesh. Paul says, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. The Christian has two fields. He has two fields in which you can sow. And not so with the unbeliever. The unbeliever, he sows, he knows what he's sowing, and he knows what he's going to get, and sometimes he tries to get something else. But the unbeliever has just one field. You, beloved, that have committed your life to Christ, have two. And what it is that you're sowing, what it is that you're doing, is dependent upon what it is that you are focused on. What are you focused on? You can sow into your own flesh, or you can sow into the Spirit. And the flesh refers to the believer's un cleansed humanness this humanness that we still cling to or that is clinging to us unto our spirit it's the flesh that paul argues back and forth and says you know i want to do the things that i want to do but the things that i don't want to do i tend to do in romans chapter 8 he's talking about this this uh humanness that he awaits for this glorification when our bodies are glorified like in jesus christ because we have the salvation past when we were regenerated. We have the salvation present, which is the sanctification process that we're going through. And we have the salvation future. That when we reach heaven, whether through the, the rapture or through our death, we will be glorified. And our bodies will be transformed in a twinkling of an eye. And it is that, that righteousness, that glorification that we wait for, that Paul talks about in chapter 8 of Romans, it's that glorification that all of us are waiting for. But until then, we are in the flesh. And this flesh is sinful. And it tends to overpower the spirit when we allow it to. Paul said in Romans seven eighteen in your outlines, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. I'm not good. He says, I know that. My flesh is not good. When bad things happen to me, I know that I deserve that. When good things happen to me, I am surprised. I am amazed that God has allowed me to breathe one more day. For I have the desire to do what, I, what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. And this is Paul's struggle within his Christian walk. And so the person who sows to his flesh panders to its evil desires. And instead of letting the spirit subdue the flesh, we allow the flesh to subdue the spirit. And we submit ourselves to the passions instead of overcoming them. We submit ourselves to those things that are just so easily swaying us. 
And everybody's flesh is a little bit different than you know other, other people. Your sin and my sin are, are, are different in the things that we, we pander to or the things that we fall to. There are things that might affect you that don't affect me. There are things that affect me that won't affect you. The interesting thing is, is that Satan knows exactly what your buttons are. He knows exactly where to go. He knows exactly what it is that needs to be attached. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the free gift of God, is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Number, number three, back to your outlines. I need to sow under the Spirit, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. The one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life. The Christian who is preoccupied with the things of God by walking in the Spirit rather than the fleshly things of the world will produce the fruit of the Spirit. There's a lot of allure around us. There's a lot of things that seem to attract us, and, and they look good. And, and you can see them. And, and it's like, you know, I want that. You know, how come I can't have that? Why only my neighbors can have that? Why is it that only certain people can actually receive that? I, I, I want that. You know, it even looks good. It, it'll make me feel better about myself. And I bet if I were just to have it, it will satisfy every inclination of my life. Now, hear me out. Those are the three sins that Eve was tempted with. Lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Those are the three sins that Jesus Christ was tempted with. Lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Every sin, I'm willing to say, could be categorized under one of those three categories. Lust of the eye, it looks good. It, and it was pleasing. It, it, was, it was a beautiful fruit. And, and she, she said, I bet if I take it, if I can eat it, it will make it would taste good. It would satisfy my soul. And then I can be like God. I can be like God because that's what was promised. God said that the moment that we eat from it, that, that we would die. But, but you know, if I can eat from it, I will know the difference between good and evil, and I may not die. And of course, she didn't die right there and then, but she eventually died. The lust of the eye, as John says in 1 John 5, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Those are the things that tend to attract us. And, and have you noticed? Have you noticed that in our culture today, everything that allures, that, that blings and sparkles is the eye. It catches us first and foremost on TV, commercials, as we're driving by. Things that, that seem to, you know, that can satisfy everything I've ever wanted. If I just had that one thing, that would be it. It's like a child at Christmas, can't wait to open the presents. And once he opens up his presents, plays with the toy for a couple of weeks, and then it's, it's gone. Or at least the satisfaction of it. Most kids, if you ask them, they couldn't remember what they got for Christmas last year. I couldn't remember. And so I, when I sow to the Spirit, those are the things that are, are, are just, I understand that, you know, the pride of life, especially, you know, I, I want to be, uh, you know, this, this very prominent person in my, in my position, the job that I have. I want to be a very important person. I, I want people to treat me with respect and with honor. And I want people to, to, to be there under my, my hand and foot and listen to everything I say. That's the type of person I aspire to be. Climb to the top as fast as you can and reach that pinnacle that you can be the boss of, of your own life. And you can have your best life now. But Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, 
and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The pride of life. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life. As a matter of fact, when you're led by the Spirit and when you are feeding the Spirit and when you are reaping and sowing into the Spirit, it's just like uh, by being led by the Spirit, not only by walking in the Spirit, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Paul gives us many examples. To be filled by the Spirit is the same thing as being, uh, being able to sow into the Spirit. In the same as abiding in the Spirit is Jesus who tells in John chapter 8, if you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. We talked about that during the sermon on the fruit. In, John, in uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, that brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices. That, too, is sowing into the Spirit. To present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. And don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There is a translation that I, I read from every once in a while. It's called The Message from Eugene Peterson. It's not really a translation, as it is more of a paraphrase. But I like the way he paraphrases this portion of Scripture. And he says, do not allow the world to squeeze you into its mold. And with all that is out there, all the bling and everything else that is out there, that's what the world does even to a genuine believer. And a genuine believer cannot be caught and, and cannot stay in that. This is one of the reasons I believe that there are a lot of Christians that are probably worse off than some unbelievers. They're in such turmoil and distress and angst and worry and because there is this, this tension that is happening between what, what, what God's Word says and what I am doing. And there is this discipline that God says in, in Hebrews chapter 12 where he says, you know, you need, you need to fear God because he is going to discipline you. If he doesn't discipline you, maybe you're not his child. But all discipline is fruitful. All discipline is good and when it comes from God because it causes us to turn back to God. And there are a lot of Christians that are so depressed and so uh, it seems like there's things going on in their life. And, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that there is sin in the believer's life. <laughs> to a non-believer, he can care less. Eh, no big deal. I don't stress about that. I don't stress about stealing. I don't stress about whatever. Cussing and all those other words and everything else that goes on. For a non-believer, it, it is no big deal. But for a believer, it is. So, so what we need to do is that we need a number four. I need to keep sowing to the Spirit. I need to keep sowing to the Spirit. Galatians 6, 9 says, And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. I tried that experiment one time with my kids, my grandkids. And I says, okay, let's put a seed in there. All right, let's put some water in it. Okay, let's watch it grow. And so I, I said, wait, Grandpa, wait, what? It's going to grow. No, no, it's not going to grow right now. It's going to take some time. And, you know, he's coming back and coming back. When's it going to grow? <laughs> Beloved, I believe there's some of us that are like that as well. I've been doing good. I've been worshiping. I've been coming. I've been applying. I've been walking. I've been, you know, I'm staying away from all that stuff. Everything you just said, Pastor Sal, I'm doing the best I can to do the best I can. Yet, I don't see any fruit. Paul says, well, don't worry about that. You just keep doing good. You just keep going on. You just keep keeping on. Those who walk and sow in the Spirit, the fruit of patience is often so elusive. It's way out there. And, you know, it's just like, I, I just can't seem to grasp that. It, and and it, those that have been doing this faithfully for years, unselfish service to the Lord, 
you know, believers experience little obvious evidence of what's going on in the Lord and what they're doing. This is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, he says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, and by the way, in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, Paul is talking about the resurrection. He's talking about death, how death has lost its sting. And he's talking about the, the resurrection. And he's saying, you know, and at the end, the last verse of that chapter, he says, My beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Knowing that everything you do for the Lord is going to be reaped. Somehow, some way, somewhere, that is just a universal law. If you plant the seed, you're going to grow a plant. If you plant righteousness, you're going to receive righteousness. And you know, I think Paul, the apostle, more than anyone else, by the world standard, was a failure. The world would look at him as, you know, you had everything going for you. You were one of the most prominent Pharisees. You had all the offerings and tithes that were coming into your lap. You had everything under control. You had every what everybody else wants. You had. And you threw it all away. For what? Why did you throw it all away? What, what is it that you're gaining? And by the world standard, he was executed. See, I told you. Nothing. He died with nothing. His family left him. We don't really know if Paul was married, except for the fact that Pharisees needed to be married. And they needed to have children. Don't hear anything about his wife and his kids. More than likely, they just, I don't know, my dad's gone wacky. My dad's gone wild. There's something going on. My husband, he just flipped out. I don't know what happened in his life. But by the world's standard, He was a failure. He was a failure. It may not seem that anything of value seems to be coming out of your dedication, out of your commitment, out of your love for Jesus Christ, out of your prayers, out of your walking in faithfulness, doing everything by the book. Everybody else is prospering. You know, cheat a little bit here, cheat a little bit there. It's okay. Everybody else is prospering and you're just doing everything by the book. It may not seem that, you know, life is fair, you know, because, you know, why do I have to go through all of this? Beloved, that's the principle of reaping and sowing. And some things just take a matter of time for them to grow. Some things, it just takes a while. The conditions of the soil, the, the, the drought, all these things. Some plants like bamboo, bamboo shoots, they, they don't grow for, what, I think three or four years. Some trees that you plant don't give fruit until after the first fruit that comes out, maybe three or four years later. The first time I planted my lemon tree. I didn't get lemons till three years after, down the road. Excuse me. There are some things that just don't produce right away. But I was in church today. I, and look at all that's going on in my life. And that can happen to a brand new believer especially. It happens to, to those that commit their life to Christ, just got baptized, and all of a sudden, bam! Where did that come from? I thought I was walking in the Spirit, and I, I was singing and praising God, and all these things. You know, I'd like to be able to say, like Paul in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, 
but I do not account my life for any value, nor as a precious to myself, as precious to myself. If only, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That was Paul's goal. By the world's standard, he was a failure. But by God's standard, he testified. He testified to the gospel of the grace of God. That, beloved, needs to be the goal of everyone here. Does that mean everybody's going to get saved? No. Does that mean everybody's going to come and listen? No. Does that mean every, you know, you make? No, it doesn't. Remember, Paul was executed. Jesus came testifying to the gospel of the grace of God. And he was murdered as well. By the world's standard, this sowing and reaping doesn't seem to make sense for a Christian. It doesn't. But this is, I'm almost done, Mia. Wait a minute, my chair. This is good. I'm almost done. But this message that you and I have been entrusted with need, needs to be proclaimed, especially to a dying world. I mentioned to you that my brother-in-law, just massive heart attack, boom, just like that. I really wish I, I, well, I shouldn't say that. I have, and I had, and I did share the gospel with him many times. You never know. Um, you know, I'm old enough. Never know. Just, and, and in spite of all that, boom, you don't know. You don't know when that time's going to come. You don't know when that's going to, as a matter of fact, when I got the phone call in the middle of the night, my sister crying, I really thought, okay, it's, it's mom. You know, I just automatically believe that because mom's at that age now. You know, we're just kind of not there yet, but we know it's, it's happening. But when this took place, it just blew everybody by surprise. What? You don't know. And when we're walking in the spirit and when we're doing and sowing to the, to the spirit, not the flesh, and you're going to fall. And that's the amazing thing about grace. The amazing thing about grace is that that grace abounds to all your sin. Not just, you know, the cross, and which is the biggest sin. He took away my, my, my permanent sin, my, my everlasting sin. He took away that original sin that now I can enter into the kingdom of God. But it, it, it stops and it hinders and it, all the growth that you can have right now in your life. Paul reaped blessings in this life because he, he never gave up. He reaped the blessings of the churches and of the people and the, and those because he didn't give up. He kept preaching the gospel. He called the Thessalonian believers his joy or crown of salvation. And to the world, it's like, they're just a bunch of kooks. What are you, what are you getting all excited about those guys about? They're just as bad as you are. At the end of his life, he could say, as he told Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. There is this crown of righteousness. And we don't see the effects of it. We don't see how it's all coming to fruition. And so in spite of what Paul says, Continue on and wait for it. And then he finishes off by saying, so then, as we have opportunity, number five, 
Let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So into the lives of others. So into the lives of others. Especially to the household of faith. Everybody should be, you should be generous and, and kind and, and uh, helping everyone around you. But especially to the household of faith. We have membership classes to identify the household of faith. And, and not that we're not going to be genuine and, and, and uh, have this, this generosity and this kindness to others. But we, we, we need to identify who the household of faith is. And there are many examples as to why we should be members of a church. Well, first of all, Paul says in Ephesians, you are all members of God's household. I mean, I think that pretty much says it. Uh, you're all members of one body. Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And not all the members have the same function. We need to commit to a body and belong to a body and grow in this body. There are other benefits of it. And when you take membership class, uh, we'll, we'll explain that and show you what the Bible says about becoming a member of a church and why it was uh, needed. I mean, a very, very simple example right now is that Paul is talking to Timothy. He says, you know, take care of the widows. Make sure that they are taken care of anyone that is 65 and above. There was a retirement system. How do you know who these widows are if you don't have a list of some sort, a membership role, those and, and how old they are, where they live, so that you can minister to them. Many other examples that we'll go through. But so, so we have to, every opportunity, not the opportunity, okay, well, I have opportunity now. I, in, this, in this Greek phrasing, the way it's stated, it's an ongoing, consistent opportunity. Something that you must be doing and even searching or looking for to do good to everyone. And, and to, to do good. As a matter of fact, 1 Peter 2.15 says, For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. The good that Paul is talking about is the agathos, the, the spiritual gift of goodness. We talked about that when we talked about the spiritual gift, the, uh, the fruit of the Spirit. This, this goodness that just, just imbues you, just flows through you naturally. And it, and it covers and it, and it surrounds people. Not that you are good, but this goodness that comes from the Holy Spirit, which makes it good. Titus says, this, the saying is trustworthy. And the saying he's talking about is, show yourself in all respect to be a model of good works, is what he says. Show yourself. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech. And then in verse 8, in verse eight he says, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Teach these things to the congregation. Teach these things to your people. Show them that they need to devote themselves to do good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. In, in, in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, Solomon says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. When we are guarding our heart, when we are walking in the Spirit, when we are sowing into the Spirit, it, it causes us to guard our life. We, we have these blinders on to all this bling and all these things that are going off in the world, and all these lights and all these causes that are happening around the world. When we focus on God's Word, we look at God's Word, we look, look to God, we see that His, it is so simple. And, and, it, and it happens very naturally to his elect. 
It happens so naturally that, that it, it, when you are walking in the Spirit, when you're sowing in the Spirit, you have these nine characteristics of this one fruit. And it just comes out of you. Unless, of course, you're sowing to the flesh. Beloved, let's work at looking at, living in, and walking in the Spirit. Sow into the Spirit, as Paul says. Don't grow weary of doing good. Keep going in that sense. And sow into the Spirit, not into the flesh. So that what you sow, you will produce. You will reap that intended righteousness that is laid up for you. It's a crown. You may not see it right now. You may struggle through it. But believe me, it will come. If you believe what the Word of God says, it will come. I was hoping that uh, I was able to finish the book of Galatians this week. There are a few things that I do want to touch on before we do close. And we'll do that next week. Uh, the following week, we'll start in the book of Ephesians. And I'm going to give you an introduction as to who the, book, what the, who the book of Ephesians was written to, by whom, and just kind of give you an overview of what we're going to be talking about. But in the first few verses of, of uh, Ephesians is a very difficult um, doctrine that many people have uh, difficulty with and have, you know, you'll have two sides to each one. We cannot overlook the fact that God has called us, has blessed us, and He has predestined us from the foundation of the world. We'll talk about predestination. We'll talk about um, the foreknowledge. Those He foreknew, He also predestined. Those He predestined, He called. Those He called, He, he uh, justified. Those He justified, He glorified. It's the golden chain of salvation. We'll talk about that in the first few weeks, the first few passages of Scripture. And, and it's a very difficult passage for some because they just it's just kind of hard to get that. What? He predestined me and not others. And, and, and it's, it's very simple if you just read it for what it says instead of trying to add more stuff to it and in, infer all kinds of other things. But we'll, we'll take some time in it. And I want to take some time in it because, you know, people have a problem with it. And just understand this, that the problem is not God's. He knows what he's talking about, okay? The problem is us in our finite mind. And I'm praying that we can walk through this together and, and you know, come to some sort of an agreement as to what God is trying to say through the book of Ephesians and Romans and other books and other chapters that we, we have actually uh, focused on. But that will be in a couple of weeks. We will finish the book of Galatians next week for sure. God willing, if uh, you know all things go well. Let me ask you to stand. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. As we sow into the Spirit, what, what, what the psalmist is trying to say here in, in Psalm 24, I'm sorry, it was Psalm 24. In Psalm 24, what he's trying to say is we need to lift up our head and recognize that God is the victor. He is the Lord of glory. He is the Lord Almighty in battle. He has already conquered this war. And the battle that we're going through, the battle that many of you are going through, it's designed to keep you off the focus. And your focus, my focus, needs to be on sowing into the Spirit. And I know, Father, that it's difficult sometimes with the way things seem to turn out in this world, in our life, in our, in our church even at times. But Lord, this promise that you've given us Continue to do good. Wait for it. Is a promise that 
I'm latching onto. It may take some time. And it may take several years before anyone can ever see. And by the world standard, we might even be a failure. But I know that if the gospel is preached and proclaimed, that there is no failure in that. And so, Lord, this is where we stand. And I pray for everyone here that is struggling with the flesh and things in their life. And many can say that I have no struggles in my flesh. Well, we know we all do, Lord. It just calls you out to be a liar. We all sin. And I, I pray, God, that as we recognize the subtleties of our, our language, of our thought process, of the things that we say and do, that we, we recognize that and repent from it. That was your call. Repent and believe. And I pray, Lord, for everyone that is struggling. And I pray for those that have been victorious over their sin. And, and I, I continue to, to bless you and thank you for their, their life of victory over various sins in the past that they no longer, that no longer have control of them. And I pray, God, that they just continue to grow in that manner. So, Father, as we leave this place, dismiss us in your peace, but never from your presence, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone says, Amen. Amen. Amen.